Mets fans, prepare yourselves to get Metsmerized! Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Get Metsmerized podcast presented as always by MetsmerizedOnline.com. I'm Sal Manzo, joined by my co-host Mike Mayer and MMO lockout guru Rich Spirago. And he's here because baseball is back, folks. A deal has been signed. Thank you. We have not only just a baseball season, a full season. I'm so excited, guys. How are you feeling? Tough to be more excited than we are. I mean, we've waited this long and to have this day finally here and to combine it with free agency. I mean, anyone can sign right now if they want to. So it's going to be a wild lead up to opening day, which is less than a month away. You know, Sal, if you look at it, you have right now free agency starting now, spring training coming up. You've got the season starting. You've got the March Madness tournament starting next weekend. You've got NFL free agency and you're changing the clocks ahead this weekend. So, <laughs> I mean, with all this good stuff going on, I mean, it's like Christmas day for a sports fan. It's great. And of course the headline is baseball. Absolutely. And I agree with all what you said there is, you know, the different sports that are starting this week uh, with March Madness and then NFL free agency. It's a stark difference from two years ago in the best way. So I'm very excited for all that. I'm very excited we have a season. Uh, but Rich, like I mentioned before, you are our resident lockout guru. You've been following this for MMO for literally 100 days. So I want you to tell us what happened from yesterday to eventually today when an agreement was uh, you know, ultimately agreed upon was always going to come down to the economics. It was always going to come down to the money. And what you saw as we got closer was the gap was starting to narrow. Case in point would be the bonus pool. When the concept was floated, player associations at $115 million in the bonus, well, I think 110 actually, MLB said 5 million. So you're off by $105 million. That's huge, right? Well, you saw that gap starting to narrow and it finally got to 50 million, which is an exact compromise. So you started to see that. And when you're seeing that, you knew we were getting close. And the other thing I want to say about this is, yes, in 1994, 1995, the season was shut down, World Series was canceled. The reason that was not going to happen this time, and I, when I was writing about this for the site, I said we, were, we weren't going to miss any games. I kept saying it. And the reason for that is... Back in 94, 95, baseball was about a $3 billion industry. It's a $10 billion industry now. Think about everything that happened in the past couple of days. Think about, we found out that baseball signed a contract with Apple TV. We found out about that. And we're also hearing that other similar streaming services will be coming out. So there's so much money out there. That's what happened. A lot of money for the players, a lot of money for the owners. And when there's that much money, you don't have to like each other. You don't. You're going to come together because you don't want to miss out on the money. And that's what it came to. You saw the CBT gap starting to shrink along with the bonus pool. You saw the ML, the owners, because they started to feel a little pressure. They didn't want to lose out on this Apple TV thing. All of a sudden, magically, they were willing to raise that CBT. Isn't that amazing? right? They were willing to raise that minimum salary. They were never going to walk away from games. There's too much money. And I think that's what happened. The thing about last night that really pissed everybody off was when they threw in that thing about the international draft and that became a stumbling 
block. And then also when the players said, well, we'll work it out this way, the way Manfred had suggested, but the league said, well, you came in at six after six. So no, no, no. That's just, that's just like a pissing match at that point. Right. That's not even real. So you knew something would happen very soon. And that's, I think that's how we got here. Well, you know, it's, it's so funny. You mentioned the Apple deal, you know, you looked at it and you think that this, you know, big announcement comes out for this TV deal with Apple and everything, and there's no season to be had. So it was, you know, the timing of it was very strange. So, you, you know, in the back of my head, I was thinking like, maybe something will happen because it's very strange to announce a television deal with no season going on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned kind of as far as the deadline stuff goes, I think we learned that, you know, these imaginary, you know, fairy tale deadlines are just all negotiating tactics. And it was just very funny to see the MLB draw these lines in the sand multiple times and just keep stepping back. I was like, no, well, no, it's this now it's this, it's this, uh, you know, ultimately I'm glad they got the 162 and I didn't think they were going to, um, I thought it was going to ultimately be like a, you know, 130 to 140 games or something like that. I thought they were just going to say the logistics of it. You know, they couldn't make the series up, but I'm really glad that they were, you know, able to, you know, ultimately have something come together. And, uh, you know, Mike, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on, uh, on this as well. We've kind of talked about it quite a few times is the fact that the owners had the shortened season in 2020 and last year, a lot of them didn't have full seat capacity. So this was really, I mean, the owners try to play hardball on this and which is why we, I lost count. I think we ended up on the sixth deadline. I think that's what we ended up on, but that's why they kept on making these deadlines and tried to get this in quick as possible because the owners really didn't want it. I mean, they wanted get all of their stuff the way they wanted it, but they really truly didn't want to miss games again. And that's why I think like Rich said, they ultimately moved on some stuff too. They talked some owners into the little bit higher CBT than I think some owners were comfortable with. They went a little higher on the pre-arb pool than I think some owners would have liked to do, but ultimately they didn't want to miss games. So, and they could see that the players were making movement too. They did. They made some movement on all of their numbers over the last 24 hours, 48 hours. So I, I think ultimately the thought of missing games like today being that real, I don't want to say deadline because who knows, but I, I think both sides kind of realized if we didn't get this done soon, we just were out of time to get a reasonable spring training and a full season. in. so, yeah, I, I think ultimately uh, it's great that we're going to get 162 without anything too funky, just a couple of nine inning double headers here and there and a couple of off days taken away. And then, we're not going to be playing games in December. So I, I think, I think we, I think it worked out pretty well for both sides. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think another thing that I'll, I'll give, you know, credit to to the MLB for at least creatively kind of combating that, that service time thing was raising the league minimum salary. Um, I thought that was a good way to kind of, you know, for on their aspect, you know, not, not change the, uh, the free agency, so to speak, um, you know, the years, but it also, you know, players now, um, that come up early will make some more money. I think I saw the uh, the comparison was like Corbin Burns. If he would have, you know, with the bonuses, he was at like six hundred thousand this past year, six hundred fifty thousand. He would have had he would have made like four million after this year because of that. So it's it was you know it's a significant jump. So that's cool. Um, you know, Rich, uh, I wanted to talk to you to roll back to kind of the international draft thing. Can you talk about like 
you know, last night that seemed to be a big sticking point. Like you mentioned, the players got kind of pretty off thrown off guard by that. Can you tell us a little bit like, you know, what the feeling was last night and then how like through today, how things kind of changed and they ultimately agreed on something? Well, it, it seemed to be, Sal, a, a tactic that the owners have used that really annoyed the players. And frankly, I, if what I'm hearing is true, I, it would annoy me too. Where, sure, we talked about, so we, let's say we're in the room, we talked about an international draft, you know, back in December when we were in Dallas. Maybe we talked about it in January in Manhattan. We talked about, okay, maybe, maybe. And now we're ready. Now we're getting close on the numbers and we, you know, we give you a contract, we give you a CBA. And all of a sudden in there is something that maybe we talked about months ago, but we haven't talked about it recently. And it was snuck in at the last minute that they wanted to go to an international draft. And the players object to it for a lot of reasons. Uh, many of those reasons are players spoke to players of Latin descent in other countries and they said, no, that's not a good idea. It's not even, it's not good for us. We don't want it. And some retired players also weighed in and said, that's not a good idea right now. What you'd be doing is really formalizing kind of a broken system. Let's fix the process and then make a system out of it, right? So they snuck it in and the owners really wanted it and the players to their credit, you know, they saw it, they could have signed last night, they pushed back on it. Then they said, well, let's go back to this idea where we, we start it and we have a good faith agreement to negotiate it during the season, which was something Rob Manfred had proposed last week in Jupiter, Florida. Well, they said, well, that's a great idea, but you gave that to us after 6 PM. And that was our deadline in quotes. And so we're not going to entertain that. And so honestly, when that happened, I thought that's really going to piss the players off. It would, it would aggravate me, right? Who cares if it came in at 6.15 or 6 o'clock? And that could have been a problem, but they were able to work it out. They were able to revert back to what they had talked about, which is, well, we'll figure it out. You know, if we can't figure out an, an amateur draft, an international draft, then we'll put the, the uh, draft pick compensation back in. And so it became, we'll have a good faith try at it during the season. It should not hold up an agreement. It turned out it didn't. And if you, you know, if you're following it this morning, that part was settled about 10 or 1030 this morning, then it became, okay, we got that little pimple out of the way. Now let's get down and bridge those final gaps on the money. And so that, that became an issue, probably not so much because of what it was, but because of the way it was slipped in at the last minute. And again, I, I, I try to take a balanced look at these things, but I, I really have to say owners, that's their bad for trying to sneak it in like that. Kind of feels like the whole negotiating process. So far, they give them something you think they're close and then they'd sneak something at the very end to try and make the deal not happen. Um, that's really interesting there. Uh, Mike, I wanted to talk to you, um, you know, a little bit more about, you had a good thread today, kind of like the specifics about what so far, what's in the CBA, what's gone out. Can you kind of break down for us? You know, we, we've touched on a couple of things here, but in general, kind of the main sticking points, um, break that down a little bit for us here. Yeah. I mean, we'll kind of go down the uh, list and go over a bunch of different stuff. Cause there's a lot to it and, uh, there's, there'll be more coming out after this comes out in the next couple of days. It'll be quite thorough. So, uh, I mean, off the top, Universal DH is here officially. I mean, this is something that's been discussed, it feels like, for years. Um, that might happen. It's here now. It's not going to go anywhere. I think this is baseball now with the Universal DH. Um, and they, I, I think it kind of benefits the Mets in the short-term look. Um, like I mentioned, when they do do double headers this year, it will be nine innings. Um, no runner on second, 
I think that's good. I don't think that gimmick went over well with anyone. And I think nine innings is fine too. Um, So report dates Sunday. Guys are going to start reporting on Sunday. Opening day will be April 7th. Moving on to some other stuff. Postseason. Postseason, there was a lot of talk of the owners wanting to get to 14 team. Um, That did not – the. I mean, the players union fought back on that pretty good. And ultimately, I think if you paid, paid attention to Twitter or any type of social media, I think the fans fought back on that pretty hard, too. They weren't happy about essentially having half the league in the playoffs. So we're going to get a 12-team playoff. There's some caveats to that, which more of that's coming out. Like uh, there's no 160, no game 163 for tiebreakers. They haven't said exactly what the tiebreaker is going to be yet, but it, it's not going to be an actual game. And that's just because we're going to have another round of playoffs. So they, they can't add in the extra game. So breaking down some of the money, the pre-arbitration pool that we talked about, they ended up at 50 million, which I think is pretty fair. I think the players started out at about 115 and the owners started out at 15. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we got pretty close to the middle. And I, uh, I, I think this is one of the bigger notes of this entire CBA and probably one of the biggest wins for the players is to be able, I mean, this is something that wasn't there at all. And now we have this $50 million pool for players like the Pete Alonzo when he broke the rookie home run record, um, Aaron judge when he did it. And uh, I mean, one, the wonder Francos of the world, Fernando Tis when he came up. So this, this is money that'll go towards those players that, are performing at an elite level just and they can't make any money off their otherwise normal contract sticking with the money the minimum salary is up to 700,000 this year and then it'll go up 20 20k per year during the CBA again i think that's another fairly good win for the players they they got close to what they really wanted to and the C, the collective bargaining tax will be 230 million this year and then going up to 233 237 241 and 244 the last year i think ultimately the players would have liked to seen that a little bit higher but that was one of the sticking points with it didn't sound like all of the owners um but some of the owners that was a pretty big sticking point with them particularly the small market ones because they didn't want the steve cohen's the dodgers the other teams that typically spend the rule five got canceled. I think that was a, that was a good move where, I mean, rich alluded to all the stuff that's going to happen in a four week span. I I don't think we needed to see um, some prospects get switched organizations and have to worry about roster stuff. Um, Oh boy. Where else are we going to go? Oh, advertising, advertising. That's something that we needed to talk about. Um, there can now be advertising on a player's jersey and his helmet. Um, there hasn't been a ton of specifics about what, like, what can be done or who's going to be doing it, stuff like that. I'm sure. I'm sure as we get closer to the season, and um, I'm sure we'll see announcements by certain companies that are already um, in business with Major League Baseball that they're moving into putting more money into stuff on the jersey and the helmets um i guess i don't have a 
it'll look weird. It'll take a while to get kind of used to that. But I know some other fans have talked about, well, you, you see it in other sports. So you're kind of used to it to agree a uh, degree already. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's a pretty good wrap of what we know so far. Um, like I said, other details will come out and, uh, we'll, we'll kind of touch up on those when they do. And a couple of media related ones too. I saw that, uh, Rob Manfred said in this press conference, uh, they'll be going back to pre COVID rules. So media will be yep. allowed back in the clubhouse again, which is cool. And also on a, on a Mets related thing, um, and also the Yankees, the Yes Network and SMY both announced that their announcers will be going to all the games at the ball, you know, home and away. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously away on the road um, for all the games. So that'll be cool. I'm sure Gary Cohen's very happy about that. He can have his normal broadcast back. Um, the uniform thing, I don't like it. I don't like it in any sports. I hated when, you know, that when the NBA and the NHL started doing it. Um, I think baseball uniforms are the best uniforms in sports. So I, I hate seeing, you know, annoying ads get put on them. But for the most part, they're all pretty kind of small in the other sports. You don't really they kind of blend in after a while. So it's, you know, not the biggest deal in the world. Um, Mike, I think you had something else, too. Yeah, I, I just remember another one that uh, Tim Healy of Newsday tweeted out uh, about they're going to stage games and or tours over the next five years in a couple of different places. He listed Mexico. Asia, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, London, and Paris. So, again, this is kind of um, Major League Baseball trying to expand on uh, the game itself and trying to get it in more in front of more people. MLB, Rob Manfred, don't put anywhere, don't put a game in Paris. I understand <laughs> London because it's like an English-speaking European city. The flight's not that bad for like East Coast teams. Don't put a game in Paris. Nobody cares. You know, in Europe where people do care about baseball, Italy, I happen to work with those people. There are a lot of folks there that love baseball and they actually have the most competitive baseball leagues in Europe and Italy. So a place like Rome would be really nice. If you need any ideas, please call me because Paris is not it. No one cares. Absolutely. No one's going to care. That's actually like one of the places when I saw in the comments and the quote tweets, I was just seeing like, I wanted to see which places people are like, uh, this is where they should have been. And I saw Italy quite a bit because like you're saying that baseball is pretty big there. And so, and I was kind of surprised not to see like the Netherlands in there or something like that too, a place where baseball is a growing game, but I, I, I'm sure they'll kind of expand on this once they have some um, success with this. But I, I mean, it either way, wherever it ends up, it's, it's good to see baseball expanding more th- just, outside of um the u.s yeah no and and again it seems like i'm gonna ask you guys a bit later about about where you think we'll be in another five years if we're gonna do a lockout but it, it, it for once it does seem like and it took about 100 days or 98 days whatever for the owners to finally kind of start negate you know negotiating good faith um maybe it all started with this this international draft thing that they threw at the players last night maybe this real is the start of it because it was the first time people kind of started turning on the players at least like in the public it looked like people were or fans seemed a little annoyed like we're gonna blow this thing on an international draft which is probably smart on baseball's part and mike you mentioned it because it's probably like i think you tweeted it that's a topic that the most fans and and front office people really don't care about so it was a good thing to like kind of use as leverage but you know I guess whatever gets the ball rolling, ultimately it seems like concessions were made finally. And some, you know, again, it's like not the immediate future for, you know, not the future, future guys, but I think they, they did a balance of, you know, 
helping the future, but also the guys that are playing now and respecting the guys before them and all that. So, you know, ultimately I'm just happy that baseball's back and kind of, you know, going off that to now a deal signed. We know it's seven o'clock, you know, the lockout officially ended and free agents to be get, uh, free agency could begin again. Um, so the next few days are probably going to be insane. That's another big plus for all this. So, you know, kind of to, to uh, you know, and this port, you know, the, the lockout portion now to the baseball portion. And I just want to get your, you know, uh, Mike, I'll start with you some thoughts on some free agents that you maybe you'd like to see the Mets go after or some names, maybe not that you're hearing already, or you think maybe pre-locky you heard, were, you know, good fits or guys that, you know, we've gone at or that they might go after. I know we saw reports that the Mets reportedly aren't in right now, Chris Bryan or either, or I saw Michael Conforto as well, that they're probably not in on, but I was just trying to, you know, get your thoughts there and see if there's anything that you've heard. Yeah, I think um, I haven't heard a ton since the lockout um, got over, but pre-lockout, they were definitely looking at starting pitching with uh, Yusei Kikuchi and Carlos Sardin. I think that's two of the guys that they're going to continue to target. Probably Kikuchi, probably a little more likely. He's certainly going to be on a cheaper deal um, than Carlos. So I think that's, I mean, they definitely need another starting pitcher. Um, that leaves McGill, Peterson, Trevor Williams, those type of guys as your depth. Because there's injuries. I mean, you you see it every year in every team's rotation. There's going to be injuries. And, I mean, there's – it's certain – I mean, even Jacob deGrom, uh, in terms of innings, how much he's going to pitch this year is a question mark. And uh, Carlos Carrasco coming off a pretty terrible year um, is a question mark. Taiwan Walker had a really good first half and then a really bad second half. So outside of Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom, when healthy, the Mets, I, I think there's fair to say there's a lot of questions in the rotation. So I, I think you definitely see um, a starter. Um, I also think the Mets, the Mets haven't been very quiet about the fact that they want a bat. Um, like you said, I don't, I know Michael Conforto was kind of floated as a name. I, I don't see Conforto coming back. I think he's going to have significant enough interest elsewhere that he'll kind of, um, price out what the Mets are looking for a bat. Same thing with Chris Bryant. I know the Mets like Chris Bryant. They like the versatility of Chris Bryant, but I, I, I don't think they end up spending that type of money on a bat. Um, I know Kyle Schwarber is a name that's been thrown around. I still think his, in the end, his ask might be too high, but I, I think he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. The Mets, someone, I don't remember who reported it, but the Mets are definitely looking to add um, a left-handed bat, maybe particularly. I think, I think they would settle for a bat. I know they've also talked about putting Escobar at second if they could potentially get someone to play third which is the Bryant we've mentioned and then you have some trade options between Matt Chapman and Josh Donaldson and then the the bullpen I mean I think first and foremost you have to find someone to replace Aaron Luke and Andrew Chafin is a guy they did talk to before the lockout and is arguably the best lefty on the market so I I would be surprised if the Mets didn't at least talk to him um, post lockout and uh, there's some other guys there's some other guys out there too like Joe Kelly another guy who would help the end of the um, bullpen I, I don't think you'll see a Kenley Jansen type 
again, I, th- I think he'll go somewhere. He can close, definitely close and get a little bit of money. But I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's not crazy to think that the Mets add a starter, a bat, and a reliever. I, th- I think those are certainly needs. And I, I don't think Steve Cohen's going to be too shy about continuing to spend money. Yeah, no, and Rich, I'm going to get to you in just a sec, but just to what Mike was saying, you know, I, I we've talked about it before the lockdown and everything, which feels like a million years ago, but finally getting to talk ball again. Um, yeah, you know, the Mets, in theory, especially their starting pitching, when they're healthy, they have a great rotation. But again, these are guys now that are, at the front, these guys are in their mid to late thirties. One's almost forty or is forty in Scherzer, um, and it's you know last year they had some injury problems. And in baseball in general, you know I, I think the good teams you have six, seven, eight starters, and that's not, you know, um, you know, no disrespect to the Trevor Williams of the world, but I'd like to see a guy like Kikuchi who could take the ball every fifth day at the back of the rotation, as opposed to you know a guy that's maybe gonna give you two innings and then and then that that bullpen game, which you know I think in in turn helps, but I think you also see teams that make it late into October, those bullpens can kind of falter. So I think pitching depth, starting pitching wise, is going to be huge. They need a a pitcher or two that could take the ball every fifth day, which is why I'm not a fan of Rondo. And I just think injury wise, I, I wouldn't. That's too risky with with, with the guys that you have, um, you know, they need a reliever. Um, I agree there again. Um, Chafin's a good one. Cause again, to re- re- replace loop loop, excuse me. Trade wise will be interesting to see what they could do. You know, if they show him an starting pitching wise, you could maybe try and, you know, lure, lure him away from Oakland um, with the, you know, Dom Smith or uh, JD Davis or something like that. Guys that are on the block. Um you know, same thing possibly in the reliever market, although I don't know how many, you know, maybe uh, Josh Hader, if maybe you could try and swing something now that's more affordable, uh, you know, because uh, we don't really know kind of what the Brewers are at this point. They have a big contract with Yelich, which they're kind of stuck with. It seems like he hasn't been able to come back to form. And we know at this point, teams, smaller teams like that, they'll try and get a high value for a reliever, but maybe, you know, for with this frenzy, they'll be able to get something, a little, you know, in a little more value. Um, but, you know, a bat would be nice. Again, Chris Bryant would be great. We all know that um, if they were to go the third base route and again, like a trade route, I'd, I'd rather a Matt Chapman than a Josh Donaldson. Um, I know Chapman offensively is kind of been going down a little bit, but defensively is one of the best in the game. And I'm all for that with the pitching heavy franchise. So that would be good with me. Um, but it's just going to be crazy to see how all this goes. How many crazy, like one year ridiculous deals you're going to have. Like you may see the Mariners throw like $35 million at Chris Bryant for one year. Cause like, we need third base. He's the best third baseman. You know, we're, we're not going to have you long-term, but here's, here's a place to play for a year and a, and a nice amount of money. Um, but uh, Rich, after all that, I just want to kind of hear you as well. You know what you, uh, your wish list would look like for the Mets now that uh, the season is back on. Well, you know, there are some shiny new toys out there, Sal. You know, you've got the Freddie Freeman of the world. You've got Chris Bryant. You've got names that we know and get names that have killed the Mets over the years, right? And offense tends to sell. So those are the shiny new toys, and they'd be great to have. But as far as I'm concerned, whatever money Mr. Cohen has and is willing to invest at this point, invest it in pitching. Pitching is what this team needs more than anything. You could give me any Mets starter, any projected Mets starter, and I can find a flaw with them. You know, DeGrom, elbow, Scherzer, back, didn't make his last start in the playoffs. David Peterson coming off a broken foot. Uh, Carlos Carrasco, disaster. Taiwan Walker absolutely hit the wall in the second half of the year, other than that great start against the Yankees in September. So I would spend my money on starting pitching first 
The second place I'd spend my money is on the bullpen. Um, I think Chafin is a must get unless you can trade for Hader. Think about all Luke did for this team last year, and they really don't have a lefty in the bullpen. Sure, you could put Peters in the bullpen. Maybe that'll work out. But you don't have a quality established lefty out of the bullpen, the loogie to use the term. So I'm going starting pitching. If you have to trade for a Castillo, if you have to trade for a Manaya, whatever it might be, starting pitching first, add to that bullpen, particularly on the left side, second. And if you have some trade capital and you have some money left over and you want to add a bat, you're not going to get Freeman at that point. You're not going to get Brian at that point for what you might have left. Those guys will be gone pretty quickly, but you can probably add a versatile bat out there. You could probably get somebody who is a competent offensive player, maybe not a star offensive player, but somebody who's competent. If you look at this Mets team, I'm not suggesting they're, they're the 27 Yankees, but their offense is pretty good. It's pretty good. It's enough to win. Their pitching, for my money, is not enough to win. So I want to bulk up, particularly starting it in the bullpen. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, I, we all kind of echo the same thing. And in today's game and the way this season is going to be, it's a short spring training. We all know that spring training is long for the pitchers. Spring training is for the pitchers to get their legs underneath them. So I think, you know, um, the importance of starting pitch is going to be bigger this year more than ever. Mike, I think you had another point, too. Yeah, I kind of just want to touch on what Rich was talking about. Yeah, I, I think if you miss out on like the Bryants, the um, Freemans, the Koreas, Korea, who obviously probably isn't coming, and the other bigger free agents, I, I do think you get someone, uh, a veteran bat. I mean, Jonathan Villar is a guy that we've seen before that can be useful. He's out there. I, I That makes, certainly would make some sense. Um, I think another name is Andrew McCutcheon. Yes kills lefties kills left-handed pitching um i i think he's another and they've already shown that this entire offseason that they want to get some veteran leadership and i mean there's not too many people better in a clubhouse than andrew mccutcheon so i i, I think those are two names uh brad miller from the had a good season for the phillies last year he's great off the bench good pinch hitter and he plays a bunch of different positions so yeah i, I think the mets without getting a big bat could still add some to the offense here and there. And I, I like what Rich was saying about the pitching staff. There's just, there's just so many question marks so that that is really where I would focus too. I, I agree with Rich on that and making sure that you shore up the starting rotation and the bullpen. Yeah, no, it's it's funny to think the Mets spent all this money before the lockout, right? But like, there's still some this legitimate holes for that that to be made, you know. Also, another thing, uh, do I love Edwin Diaz being my closer every day? I don't know. I know some people do. Um, he's still not my biggest fan in the world. So again, if you can bolster that bullpen in any way, really, that's a huge help. So you know, I agree. I think they kind of what they did with the lineup is what they're going to do. Uh, I, I don't love third base and right field for them. I, I'd love to be able to upgrade at either position. I know one of the dudes out there does both, I guess, when, when he can. Um, but, um, you know, I, I agree that they're going to score runs with the, with the lineup that they have currently. Um, you know, I just think that especially the starting pitching is thin, like we've talked about. And, you know, a guy like McCutcheon, go ahead, Mike. One name I forget and that I want to mention because he had a great year last year is Colin McHugh. I think he is an absolutely perfect fit for the Mets. Bring him home. Yeah, bring bring, bring him home. home. Bring him home. Um, he was terrific last year for the Rays. Uh, 
pitches in a bunch of different roles out of the bullpen between opener, multi-inning guy, uh, end of the game guy, if you want him to be. I mean, he's pre- I mean, I say perfect fit for the Mets. He's perfect fit for a lot of teams, but I think he's one of the better guys left on the market too. So I think Colin McHugh would be a great pickup for the Mets. That's Talk about a swing man. There's a guy who's a starter, but if you have an abundance of starting pitching, he could be a long reliever out of the, he right. could be a lot of different things and a great curveball. Absolutely. Bring Colin McHugh home. Love that idea. Agreed. The more arms, the better, especially for this year. I'm telling you, I, you know, and MLB network was talking about it a little bit today, but they're going to need expanded rosters to start the season, especially for pitching at least the first couple of weeks, but in general, Matt's pitching, pitching, pitching. Yeah. How you need it. You've seen it in the last few years in general, you need, you know, pitching depth, but especially this year, starting pitching depth. Cause then again, you, you, the goal here is to make a deep postseason run, right? I don't want my two horses given everything they got 162. If you can alleviate a start or two or that, you know, here and there, you know, down the stretch in July, August, September, or not September, but you know, like June, July, August, if you need to get them a spot start, you know, uh, you know, arrest a start here or there, you want a luxury to do that for guys that, you know, no one pitches 30 plus starts a year anymore. You're not paying for that. You're pitching for, you know, 20, 25 plus, hopefully, you know, good starts. And then, you know, hopefully about five starts in the postseason. And, uh, you know, you're raising the World Series. So, you know, the, the longevity is the key here. Um, I guess we should also t- talk quickly. Uh, Buck Showalter, new manager. He's, he's going to meet his players now. Finally, they're going to show up. They're going to all have to wear name tags because they're going to have to know each other. I'm curious to see how much do you think that's going to have an effect one way or, you know, one way or the other. Do you think that could like, you know, start the Mets maybe on you know, they could start the year a little slowly because everyone's got to kind of, you know, learn to mesh and learn, you know, buck style, so to speak. Do you think they're going to hit this thing running? What do you think, Rich? I think with the veteran players they have, they're not a young team necessarily. I don't think that'll be a problem. I really don't. And Buck is he's tremendous. You know, this is not his first rodeo, as, as the uh, saying goes. So he's been down this road before. He could work in a shortened spring training. He could work with new players. They themselves, as I said, are not necessarily young players. So they've been down this road, too. I don't see any issues with that. And the whole thing with Buck, we know we haven't talked about him that much because obviously for obvious reasons, but he is the perfect fit for this team right now. I know that's been said before. I just want to sign on to that. You have a veteran manager leading a veteran team in a pressure cooker of New York. He's been in that situation before. I am as much looking forward to Buck Showalter managing this team as I am watching the team on the field. I, I just can't wait for this to happen. I seriously love it. Mike, we think. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not quite as enthused about Buck Showalter, but I, I do think he brings up a good point about the fact that uh, Mets might actually have an, kind of an advantage here with a veteran manager like Showalter and a veteran team like they do have in what is going to be, I mean, a very shortened spring training um, and not just the shortened spring training, but like the whole process. I mean, there's not really going to be like this whole buildup for pitchers and catchers and then you get the position players in and then these long lengthy month-long games and stuff um so yeah i i think it it's good for the mets that they have a veteran manager like show walter and they they boosted up a team with veterans so i think i think the mets will be fine in that regard and uh I, buck's been down in port st Lucie for a while now just chomping at the bit so it'll it'll be uh, interesting to see how many players get down there 
as soon as possible. I know I talked to some players like Tomas Nito today saying they were packing and trying to get down there as soon as they can to um, get things going. I mean, the, the players have been waiting for this for a long time. Um, and I, I think they're going to be ready to go and we're going to see the Mets get ready for camp. I think, yeah, Sunday, we talked about Sunday is when they have to be there. So this is all going to happen really quick. I love it. Quicker the better. We, we needed this. And, you know, obviously this was some damaging things happened, you know, for the sport through all these negotiations and stuff, you know, there was some bad things. Obviously we know that, but just happy they're playing a full season and, you know, full season of real baseball. But, you know, the last question I had for you guys before we, we end this, it's going to be the last lockout talk we do on this show, hopefully ever. But with that said, Rich, I'm going to start with you. Do you think that we should be worried about another one of these in five years when the next CBA runs out? Because I don't know if my heart could take that. But then, I, you know, I'm going to be like my mid-30s. I don't, I don't know if I could do that. It's a great question, Sal. Um, I hope not, because here's why. I think the players sense, as they should, that they did quite well in this, in this negotiation. They didn't get everything they wanted. They were never going to. But they did well especially for the younger players. And we know 68% of players make less than a million. They're mostly younger. So they did very well there. Uh, they have some other things they wanted. So hopefully they'll see it as, okay, maybe baseball is willing to work with us. You know, we don't have egg on our face. This was a good negotiation. And what Manfred said in his press conference, I thought was interesting. He said he reached out to Tony Clark immediately after the players ratified it. And he said, let's make this something to the effect of let's make this the start of a better working relationship. They're going to meet more frequently throughout the next five years, not wait until four and a half years from now to sit down and start talking. You know, you know, that old cliche about uh, if you don't heed the lessons of history you're condemned to repeat it. Well, let's learn the lesson here. This was bad. It was bad for the game. Let's not let it happen again. Let's talk on an ongoing basis. Let's get ahead of these things. Let's have a better relationship. My hope is that we will not go down this path again. And I think they know they can't. I think they know you, you just can't do this again. Yeah, no, I agree. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think this was kind of built up because the players had basically gotten fucked the last couple of CBAs. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of built up to this lockout. I, I think that was kind of going to happen regardless of some of the things that the owners did and some of the things the players did. Um, so I think that they were ultimately able to get the 162 games in and agreed upon. And like Rich said, the players did get some of the stuff that they were hoping for. I think they, I think they believe they did pretty well in this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the owners ended up in the last 24 hours, they ended up being giving some of the stuff up that maybe they hadn't thought they were going to too. So I think, between both sides kind of getting some things that they wanted. I just feel like they, they kind of broke through that wall of this is just no, no, no on this and no on that. So next going into the next CBA, the players have kind of built some momentum on things that they knew that they needed to. And uh, yeah, I mean, who, who knows their chats about the international draft could go down in flames. And then we're like, well, yeah, we're definitely going to have a lockout. But yeah, I, I think I think this ended way better than it started. And um, I think that's hopefully, like Manfred said, hopefully going to carry carry over. And uh, they have 
better conversations and kind of better tactics. I'm hopeful going into the next time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's a good point. It definitely things ended much better than they started. I think that's a great point. Um, and, and I like the point that like you're saying how Manfred said, they're going to try and have a better working relationship. I think the, Everyone knows you know, it's probably the most contentious relationship between, you know, sport and union in any other sport, um, you know, for like 40 years. All they've done is just kind of lash each other's throats. And hopefully with all this and, and they were able to come to it seemed you know, it's a good deal pretty much, you know, for, for both sides, for the most part. They like you said, they both got things that they wanted. Hopefully this will lead to some the next 25 years of labor peace. I know Bud was a bad uh, commissioner, but he had that going after 94. It was good for a long time. So hopefully they could do something like that there. And with that. We are done talking about the lockout. The next time we are on this show, we're going to talk about how Steve Cohen bought every free agent available, <laughs> every single one. They don't know how he did it. Rob, Rob Manfred's freaking out. The owners want to put another rule, but it's too late. They signed the agreement. Pretty much that's what's going to happen. I'm just joking, but maybe not. Who sees? Hopefully, you know, by next week, they'll have some guys signed. We'll have so much to talk about there, but at the very least, we will have real live big league spring training. Baseball is back. We made it. Thank you, everybody, for listening and tune in next week. Like I said, for the start of spring up, oh, we have Mike with one more thing before we head out. Actually, I can't wait to see Robinson Cano in a Mets uniform. His Instagram <laughs> stories next week are going to be legendary. He's going to take one swing off the tee and he's going to repost it a thousand times. I can't wait. It's my favorite Met. Everybody knows. Bounce back player of the year. They suspended drug testing for the last couple of months because there was no CBA. So we found a new one to put on. 300 hitter, baby. Let's go. There you go. <laughs> uh, but with that note, at least we could joke because, again, baseball's back. We can talk about this stuff next week. Real live big league spring training. We're so excited. Tune in next week. But until then, don't forget to get mesmerized. Get mesmerized. Get mesmerized.